1: Welcome, everyone, to Rockin' Nation Podcasts. Uh, this is like take number three. Uh, we're on episode nine, uh, season five of Dive Cuts. I am your host, 10. Sam Snelling. Uh, oh, uh, yeah, episode 10. My uh, my fault. Um, things are are going well, uh, very clearly, um, at the start of our podcast. I'm your host, Sam Snelling. Uh, with me, as always, you've heard him already, our good friend, Matt Harris. Matt, how are you? I'm well,
0: sir. Um, thankful that I don't actually have to watch, uh, Mizzou's most recent game again. Um, and we can just talk about it and move on quickly.
1: So last we met, uh, was before Thanksgiving. Um, Missouri was uh, coming off a uh, pretty tough. Monday night loss to Florida State. Uh, it took a few days, uh, enjoyed the Thanksgiving holiday, probably lost at home to Wichita State in a pretty abysmal uh, offensive game, really for both teams. Um, if you read Study Hall at all, you you may have uh, noticed me saying that it's basically like this is the only version of a mature- Missouri team that that Wichita State would have beaten that night. Um they were they were bad. Uh, Missouri was worse, uh, but then they turned around and, and got the uh, the illustrious Paul Quinn College to come to uh, Columbia and 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 suit up for a matchup uh, that was just last night. So we're recording on Tuesday. Uh, they played on Monday. Mizzou won in a rout, um, but <laughs> not the the biggest rout we've ever seen in Mizzou Arena. Um, mm-mm, mm-mm. It was, what was the final spread? 32? Um, yeah. I think my favorite stat was the, uh, the point spread with uh, Kobe Brown on the floor versus off the floor. Like that's, that's just, it's a, it's a really hilarious stat. So they were plus 45 with Kobe Brown on the floor for 34 minutes. It's a 40-minute game. That means there were six other minutes where they somehow uh, lost 13 points.
0: Yeah, that was probably that stretch midway in the second half where it, uh, where they got the lead down to 18 or 20, or it was winnowed back a little bit. Um, yeah, not a great performance in the context of, in several contexts. Like, everyone's going to say they won by 32 how could you know they yes they achieved <laughs> the objective of beating um an naia team by 30 plus points um the interesting thing was our uh our pal data mizzou um or mizzou data analysis and matt watkins told us that if you look back at like the shooting numbers sorry it was 12 of 12 on transition on shots in transition and transition on the offensive glass um which tells you that the half court was absolutely <laughs> abysmal <laughs> like if um so again i think that it's one of those things where like if you just looked at the box score you'd be like oh like even if you looked at like study hall and like some of the key metrics you'd be like okay didn't shoot the jumper very well but whatever else they did everything else right and they won by 32 it's one of those things where which it sounds ironic because everyone who gets mad at me and twitter mentions like You got to watch the game. It's not just about numbers. Well, yeah, obviously. And if you watched last night, you'd realize the context for the numbers was they still look stilted in the half court. Um, There's still not a lot of flow there. Um, Afterwards, Konzo said they made some tweaks to the lineup, which I think are good. But um, I think you look overall at sort of what they're doing still. It doesn't look, you know, fluid. It doesn't look crisp. It doesn't look like it fits this roster. And, you know, I I think, you know, the fact that they were able to get out and run in transition enough, I think if you looked at it, they were like, there was like a plus 17 or something differential in possessions, like Missouri generated a net 12 possessions off rebounds and turnovers, and uh, Paul Quinn lost five. That was really what did it. They got on the glass and they created some turnovers. But the half court, which is kind of the biggest problem for this team, Still looks to be there. So again, you you watch it and you come away and you go, okay, they achieved what they needed to, but they don't look <laughs> better in doing so. So it's it's kind of a push, uh, you know, when when you come out of a game like that.
1: Yeah. So if you look at just some of the shooting numbers, um, and I'm, just even dealing with like some of these raw numbers, like the one that stands out to me is, are are you going to be able to count on? like Deshaun Gordon shooting four for nine every night, you know, like, first of all, he took nine, three pointers. And that's something that, that I don't think we're going to see very often <laughs> is Gordon bombing away from outside. I mean, that's like, those are numbers you want to see from like cash Robertson. Um, so four for nine from him, two for three from Javon Pickett. So that's, that's six of 12 from two guys uh the team as a whole shot 8 of 29.
0: Yeah, that that paper over the 1 of 6 from Jaron Coleman.
1: Um Steyer uh, again putting both. up a goose egg. <laughs> um
0: Amari Davis 1 of 4 from 3 but 5 of 6 inside the arc. So Amari made up for it there. Yeah, the jump shooting numbers still not very good. Um
1: So for yeah, with with Amari though, like I'm comfortable with the player that we know that like the things that we know Amari is good at like he's good in the mid range he's good around the basket he needs to continue to like be that guy and realistically like I'm okay with him you know taking threes here and there he was one of four you turn that into a one of three and I think I'm happy with that performance
0: and that's what I was saying the five of six numbers really good and you saw him getting really over the last three games, you've seen him getting to hit spots and, and actions that really fit what made him good at green Bay. So I'm fine with that. I think Amari sort of trended in the right direction to where a stray three ball that he took last night's really nothing to get worked up over. I think like we've said, the bigger deal is you know you're at one of six from Jerron Coleman and Anton Boucher and one of nine combined from them. That's that, that numbers, you know, probably got to be something closer to, you know, three of nine, four of nine. They've got to be in that type of
1: realm to really. You've got to get something right. And I like to me like I, the the half court offense. Look, we know is a, is is an issue. Um, there are just some mismatched pieces at this point. I do like the fact that they moved Amari Davis to the point guard, have him uh, as your starting point guard. Uh, you know they moved Ronnie DeGray into the starting lineup. I'm still not a huge fan of that move. I, I really like, you know, the, the change in look that Gray brings off the bench, you know, because he is sort of, he's like this, this guy who's like in between Kobe, like Kobe Brown and Javon Pickett, like he's, and we jokingly called him bigger Javon, you know, but he's sort of like that, that hybrid guy that I think is good coming in off the bench. Um, and so I really think like, it would make sense to go ahead and start with Yaya once Yaya picks up his first foul, then you, which, I mean, it's probably going to happen quickly based upon uh, the fact that he, well, he did play 15 minutes and fouled out um, and he fouled out late in the the second half. But um, that's, that that's basically the direction that I would go and just sort of, you're starting off with an offensive lineup that can get, get you a few more points. Uh, and then you're sort of supplementing it with guys from the bench who are not gonna cause a huge drop off. Um Jordan Wilmore did not play Matt. I, I don't think that was a game where he needed to play at all. Like sure, that, that that's a game where like you pretty much know what a team like Paul Quinn is gonna do with a a you know seven foot three dude. Like they're gonna run away from him.
0: Yeah. I mean <laughs> like it didn't make sense from a tempo perspective, a lineup perspective and you know, you you look at what's been happening with, you know, the on off numbers with him since the NIU game, and really the N.I.U. game and kind of that stretch where he was just sort of on the floor for a run against Central Michigan, masked some really, really you know, a a pretty steady decline in his on in Mizzou's net rating with him on the floor. Um, you know, I think his net rating is basically flipped now. So there's just like Again, you watch how this team plays with him on the floor, especially offensively, and then you look and if the argument for keeping him on the floor is, well, our defense is so much better, well, that's not really the case. Missouri's net rating is 15 points worse with him on the floor. And I think I tweeted this out. He, the, Mizzou only saves one point per 100 possessions defensively with him on the floor. It loses 13 or 14 offensively with him on the floor. Like, there's there's no world in which that trade-off is worthwhile. So that that's really what it's come down to, at least for me, is it doesn't matter if he plays good positional defense for a guy every so often around the rim. He's absolutely, you know, when he's out there and, you know, if Pickett's running the point, the drag offensively is just so, so heavy that you, you can't justify it. so. Zoe said afterwards he needs to see some more things from Wilmore. Um, If that's a transition to, you know, curbing his minutes or reallocating those minutes to a different place in the rotation, I'm fine with that Um, because right now, you know, I just don't see a good anecdotal slash visual or data-driven argument for (laughs) Putting, you know, I think his minutes are fine. I think he's like at around thirty percent of minutes at the five. You've just got to shift where he is in the rotation, and I think some things can get cleaned up there. So maybe last night was the first step towards that.
1: Yeah, I'd I'd be happy if you were even trimming that down to, you know, close to the fifteen to twenty percent of the minutes. I just I don't think, you know, when you think about the like this team's deficiencies like what he actually solves for them. Uh, and I think when you, when you start looking at, um, like, where is this team going to improve over time? I just don't think funneling possessions, uh, funneling minutes to Jordan Wilmar is, is, you know, going to help you out. Um, I'm skeptical that it will. (laughs) that's, that's, That's being, being kind. um, You know, but overall, like you know, I I get the it's it's always it's it's difficult to play in a game against a team like Paul Quinn who who you you know that you can overwhelm them and really that's why Missouri won is they just they were able to overwhelm them they overwhelmed them defensively they overwhelmed them on the glass um you know Missouri struggles to shoot the ball it didn't matter they go get the Uh, miss yeah they can go get the miss I mean you know kobe brown ended up with what 23 rebounds mm-hmm. um you know and you could just sort of see like he just had his he has mind made up he was just gonna have a big night you know on the glass and and went and got as many boards as he could and and re- realistically like paul quinn seemed like they were okay with him having a huge night on the glass
0: yeah i, I think a lot of teams have like at least defensively have sort of said, you know, okay, we're going to bail out, and they've done this since last year, we're going to bail out, and you can run up your defensive rebounding numbers because we're going to sprint back, set up, and it doesn't matter if you grab the board and you tried to push off, you know, the and you had a guy who grabbed and, and decided to grab and go, we're already back and set, run offense. Like, that. that's really the calculus teams have made. So it's, like, we don't have this metric in the college game, but they do in the NBA called contested rebounds and contested rebound percentage, where I think that's a really, really, I'd love to have that. I would love to know what percentage of Missouri's defensive rebounds are contested and how many of them they win. Because I think that would tell you a lot about one, how teams are sort of approaching this team in transition. And then two, is Missouri actually a good rebounding team? Are they able to go win 50-50 balls and, you know, limit second possessions from teams? But we don't have that, and Paul Quinn certainly didn't care enough last night to go to the glass. So, um, but, hey, eat, Kobe. If if you have the the buffets
1: open, get on it. Yeah. uh, So as they stand, um, I guess we'll have a little bit of a reset here. Uh, they're four and three, with asterisks next to the four because one of those wins came against an NAI school, which according to some match shouldn't shouldn't play those games at all. Um, they've got the last of their sub uh one hundred basketball games coming up in the next two games. One of those is a roadie. <laughs> I don't like it. And I would rather play Paul Quinn College again a thousand times than have to go on the road to Lynchburg, Virginia, uh, and play Liberty. Uh, But that's what they're going to do on Thursday. Um, Chances are most of you will probably be listening to this uh, before that game. Um, Liberty's been okay this year. They've actually uh gone down quite a bit uh in their uh preseason ranking. I think they were 92nd. Yep. Um talk about opening up with a Patsy. Good lord. Uh so their schedule so far they played Regent uh in their their home opener um and won 85 to 24. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sheesh. Um, then they played LSU and lost uh, that game was a lot closer. It got it got uh, out of hand late. Yeah, yeah, it got out of hand. It, it actually mi- mirrored, a, in a lot of ways, the Missouri Liberty game last year, where you know Liberty ge- really gave Missouri a lot of fits, and then all of a sudden, you know, M- LSU Missouri did the same thing. So sort of goes on a little bit of a run, and the next thing you know, uh, you're up eight, and Liberty starts to kind of panic a bit. Uh, then they lost to Iona, which is not that bad of a loss um Iona also beat Alabama uh this past week He'll probably so be a favorite in
0: the MAAC so they'll, they might they might be an auto bid team come
1: March yeah anybody who hasn't been paying attention might might uh not know that Rick Petino is the head coach of the Gales he's
0: given Alabama fits twice in six months so he's got Nate Oates's number a little bit there just hasn't been able to get the win. Um, the loss to Manhattan is a little bit confusing um, there, but that's a neutral court game. Sometimes weird things happen on neutral floors. Um, they've beaten two uh, uh, two HBCUs out of the MEAC uh, in the past week, so that's where they are. They're at 3-3. Three a three. Um, little bit uh, different Liberty team than kind of you're used to. Liberty is one of those teams that like gets old and seems to perpetually stay old. They aren't this year. They're kind of like Mizzou. They've got, I think, Ten underclassmen and four freshmen, so they're, and only and like Mizzou, only like one semi-proven offensive asset, and that's Darius McGee, who was the ASUN Player of the Year last year, and then a bunch of role guys trying to like grow into
1: starters
0: and some freshmen that are trying to fill in. So, um,
1: well, McGee has not been having the kind of year that I think a lot of people are accustomed to yeah. having. Uh, has not shot the ball very well. Nope, nope. Uh, from three, anyway. Um, his effective field goal percentage is down. true shooting is down. Yeah. His uh, offensive rating is, uh, I mean, he was at 114 last year. He's at 94. Yeah. Uh, so far this year. So uh, definitely a guy who's maybe struggling a bit and probably not helping, um, you know, with, with some of the struggles that, that Liberty has been having. So it's this is definitely a game where, it's it's interesting, right? Um, these are uh, as far as Ken Palm ratings are concerned, and and we're still filtering out you know previous data, uh, so we always have to add that that caveat. Um, but these are two teams that are within like five places of each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have Liberty at one thirty three. Missouri right now is one twenty eight. Uh, that basically means that Liberty is favored uh, on their home floor, according to KenPom.com. dot um, You know, but it's a it's a it's a toss up game. Any game that's within a single possession is basically, you know, the, the algorithm saying this could go either way. Yeah, uh, and and certainly, the algo
0: reflects like the historic trend of like home teams winning sixty to sixty five percent of their games. And the usual home floor advantage is around two and a half to three points. So it's a 60% win probability for Liberty and a three point margin. So basically, Kim Thomas said this is a toss up and we're giving it to Liberty because it's on their home floor. Is, is how. So if,
1: if Kobe Brown is, is interested in and in continuing to just sort of single-handedly win Missouri basketball games, I am all for him taking over and, and dominating the Liberty Flames. Um, Both to to win this basketball game.
0: Yeah, just like outside of McGee struggling. Like,
1: how ridiculous is it that Liberty's mascot is the flames?
0: I don't know. I think. I mean, I kind of think flames are dope. I'm fine with that. I'm 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 fine with that. Um, just. I mean, McGee's struggling. They've got a guy in. I'm trying to make sure I can get to my impound page here. And Keegan mcdowell's a pretty good off-ball shooter. Um, and, but other than that, they really don't have quite a bit there. Like Kyle Rody's kind of a jack of all trades, but he doesn't do anything particularly well. Um, it's, there's just not a lot of like, in some ways, Liberty is like Missouri. They are going to rely on McGee to carry them and hope McDowell has a good shooting night and a third guy comes along. And that they can, you know, stitch together enough offense, you know, in a low possession game to, to get the result. Um, I do think what this, you know, but what they do do is, you know, they do turn the ball over. You know, they're young. They don't have a proven point guard. Um, so they, they are turnover prone. They're, they give up. You know, they don't really get on the offensive glass all that much. And they don't get to the free throw line. If I'm Missouri. And you know you see a team that's whose offense is 350th nationally and allowing steals. I'm amping up the ball pressure. I'm trying to do as I'm going to play small. I'm going to do as much as I can to avoid playing that pack line defense in the half court. And I would and I would expect in some ways Missouri to keep doing what they did against you know Paul Quinn. Go small. Try and amp up ball pressure. Try and get into the open court. Play on the run and all things holy, just don't make this a grinder on Liberty's home floor. So I think that that's sort of what I'm looking for is can they slow down McGee? Can they get out and transition? And can they make Liberty play from behind? Pack line teams are not good when they've got to speed up and they've got to get and they've got to make up two to three possessions on you. So and this team doesn't have the jump shooting to really punish you for long possessions. They're going to have to rely on McGee making a lot of things happen, you know, whether it's out of a catch, rip, and go, a pick and roll, or some other handoff here. So, like, in some ways, like, Missouri's script might be similar to what they did against Paul Quinn, and just trying to get the the pace and the tempo to where they want it and sort of just hope that you know, they can make, you know, Liberty play from behind and, and really sort of have to get out of their comfort
1: zone. Did I see that uh, Liberty is possibly moving to Conference USA? Yeah. Um, like that's one of the upcoming, but like Conference USA is like asking teams to like buy into that, which is kind of weird.
0: Yeah, and they're like asking FBS teams if they're willing to move up, or FCS teams if they're willing to move up. So uh, that that league is not in a in a great spot at at this point with uh, the football uh, realignment round that's happening at this point. Yeah, but but no, this is this is a game where. Both teams are young. There's not a lot of continuity. Neither of them really deep, deep, go deep into their bench. You know, Zoe and Richie are both sort of conservative with two fouls. So they'll pull guys off the floor. if They've got two of them. And, you know, the pack line wants to make it an ugly, ugly gap sound grind out game. We know Konzo's fine, making things into, into grinders and sort of playing ugly. So, you know, there's a world in which this thing bogs down. Missouri can't get its half court offense going. Any, you know, is already having problems doing that, and then it's just in a raucous environment, and it just gets into a bind there. So, it's it's not a fun. <laughs> set aside whatever you think about Liberty as an institution. This is not a, a the on court um situation is is, is you know problematic at, in at the very least.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, if you if you completely extract all of our, I guess, moralistic reasons why we don't want to, uh, to play this Our ethical quibbles game, with like, this game. Like, this is a really difficult road game to take on for any high major team.
0: Missouri's, I think, the first high major in in at least this decade to go there. So, it's not like high majors are like, yeah, let's go to Lynchburg. That's how rare it is. Missouri's the outlier in taking this return game and giving
1: this return game. That's just like, uh, it's still puzzling to me that they would, they would schedule this game and not even like as a two for one either. Yeah. that That's what like bu- this, this is a home and home. You can like get a, a home and home with anybody, a two for one. I'd have been like, okay, yeah maybe because yeah, like, like, I don't like, I don't want to make that trip, but it's a two for one. Like, like, Auburn has a two for one with Slu. Mizzou has offered a two for one with Slough, but they'll do a home and home with Liberty. Just mind-boggling. But like, I really don't have it, like very many qualms with how Kanza Martin has scheduled his his non-conference <laughs> opponents. I think in large part he does a good job of kind of having a nice balance. Like even this year, I realize things aren't going as we may have hoped um you know but it, they had a they have what uh utah and wichita state uh, kansas which illinois both, florida state well I'm, so utah and, and wichita state are both at home and so those are two high major games top 100 games you have at home um like i like that's good scheduling Obviously, Kansas and Illinois. You're always going to have Illinois in the schedule, so that I, you don't really give Zoe credit for that. That's just history. Um, and then, really, the same thing with Kansas. Like, I don't, I, I don't really think Zoe is like, oh, I don't want to play Kansas. Like, he'll just he'll go play anybody. Uh, so, I think that's something that you accept. But you look at like this the strategy of of them kind of trying to find some decent uh, mid majors to play at least you know, decent majors from, from good conferences. Like they played Wofford, Earl uh, sort of Roberts, Northern Kentucky. They've played Yeah, these are all teams that they've they've played in the past and it's it's a good schedule. So it just doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever, like why you would home and home with Liberty.
0: A home game with Liberty would have made total sense.
1: Yeah, just even a one off.
0: Yeah. A one off would have would have been absolutely fine. Unless they were in a bind last year hunting for games and this was the you know they were up against it, and they had to give a home home game back to Liberty to make it work in, in a COVID year. Yeah, I'd, right? I'd
1: have to go back and look at the the timing of yeah like when when it was announced to see if there was anything like like that. But no Liberty, I really, like. I, I I guess you know like Martin was catching the uh some the flack from uh our our, our Arkansas uh, friends down there on Twitter for. We're scheduling Paul Quinn, but like, I don't, I, I think every team needs at least like one just body bag game, like one game where you're just like, if that opponent is showing up and they know that their, their job is to get murdered uh, on the court.
0: I'm fine with the Paul and, Quinn game. Cause there was a recruiting rationale
1: behind it. Like, well, yeah, far- like, I mean, clearly I, you know, there, the, the deeper rationale is there, but, you know, I'm th- thinking of like, you know, what, what was it, Chicago State a couple years ago. I'm thinking of, uh, what was the um, Alabama A and M uh, and Kim Anderson's. Like, I think every year you have that one game that you're just like, we're just going to bring in somebody who's going to be awful, and we're going to just kick the shit out of them. Um, and I, I think that's basically what you know, Paul Quinn is. So I don't, I don't, you know, and, and very clearly, like we've talked about. The connections with the AEU program, the fact that it's HBCU, like that's all cool. All these things are are good reasons to play the game. I don't have a problem with them playing Paul Quinn, um, but yeah, like it just doesn't make sense to me that they're they're going on the road to play Liberty.
0: Go to Chaffetz or go to JQH. Go to one of those two venues.
1: Yeah, you'd at least have some some of your own fans in the building. Yeah.
0: Go. Go to Southwest Missouri. Go or, or go to Slu. I'd do that instead of play Liberty on the road.
1: Like I, I'd rather they, they'd have done uh, Bradley, like uh, a two for one. Go to Northern Iowa. Go to Drake. Go oh, play. Man, I feel like he'd get get hammered in Northern Iowa. Um,
0: but go to Loyola Chicago. Like go go play one of those. Hmm. Go to Valpo. There's plenty of like really good mid-major programs in the Midwest you could go to and do a home and home with. I'm um, that I'm sure would be fun, but nope. Going to Liberty. Um, this feels like also like we've said before. This feels like one of those opportunities in a flip game where no, even if Missouri had not gotten off to a poor start and had not looked as as poor as they have at times, um, that you would want to get a result here. Um, just because, you know, the, from, like we said, from mid-December to late January, that six weeks is just brutal. And, you know, you, you know, we, even if you didn't think this was a tournament team, which I don't think you or I did or anyone did, you wanted to stack some results here. And this was an opportunity to flip one. Um, still is. So you'd want to see them pick one up here. Um this game has always been sort of marked as a loss by almost any analytic system um, so maybe it can help replace you know the debacle against UMKC if you flip the win column back because i think if you know if results have been reserve- reversed it would not have been a shock to see missouri at 5 and 3 at this point so beating liberty keeps you on track in a sense in terms of the win loss columns then you can get to illinois Eastern Illinois, you get to six. Who knows? Maybe you pick off Utah at home and you can get to seven. Like that that's really the calculus right now is can you kind of stay on track, you know, to be at six and you know, six and six in non con, you know, going into SEC play. Six and six or seven and five.
1: So what does what does Missouri have to do uh in this game for uh, for you to like feel better uh, about the, the progress this season.
0: I want to see them come out and control a game from start to finish. Like come out, execute crisply. It doesn't have to be a blowout like I'm not saying they gotta walk into Liberty and blow them off the floor. but come out, execute crisply, build a lead, maintain game control, and just look like a team that's able to put together some consistency for 40 minutes because that's what they're lacking right now. Like I, even within the Paul Quinn game last night, they put together a run of eight minutes of play and then they wipe that out in the second half with a lull. Like you just haven't seen this team put together, you know, we can talk about the Northern Illinois game as a complete game from the defensive perspective, but you haven't seen a complete performance from this team yet. And that's what I want to see. And that's still not going to get like to steal your metaphor to get my hand away from the panic button, but <laughs> right. that that's the thing that's going to, that would probably be the only thing that would like change my outlook at this point would be to watch them put together a complete 40 minute game, especially if they did it at a tough road environment, like Liberty. I think that would, that would count for a little bit Um, to, to see him do that, to see that would count as a step forward for
1: me. What would be yours? Uh, I I like, for me, I'm I'm looking at a couple individuals I'd like to see kind of get going a little bit. I I really want to see more from from Boogie Coleman. Um, he almost seems like a little bit, uh, like he's snake bit. So far, uh, he just he doesn't seem to be playing. And I realized like you know like one of the things that we had kind of talked about uh coming in the season was was the uh you know the stretch of games that he played the last you know ten or whatever it was games that he played last year after coming back um you know was that uh like a burst forward or was that just a burst, and now he's falling back like like who is Boogie Coleman and what kind of player is, is Boogie Coleman gonna be uh while he's in a Missouri uniform. Because certainly what we've seen, um, you know, we saw him have a decent opening night. I mean, he hit four or seven from three, and I, I think that helped kind of mask over a few other things. Uh, you know, but since that game, he's been really turnover prone. Um, you know, he's not shooting the ball well. Uh, I think his you know, he's he's hit one three outside of that game. He's at, so in, in four games and then the rest, he's he's over. So, I mean, he's just not shooting well. He's uh, he's been a little better, you know, kind of taking the ball of the cup. Uh, you know, but that's a guy that I just don't think Missouri can have. Um, any kind of decent season uh, without him, like, I just don't see how it works without Boogie Coleman playing better. Um, like I can see you getting by without Anton Brookshire, without, yeah, we can see things kind of working without, I mean, clearly at this point, I don't think you can expect, um, like Kobe Brown, not to be, uh, not to be at least, you know, pretty good. Um, you know, Javon Pickett is a guy who, who will have some games where he looks good and other games where he doesn't. Um, and I think you can get by, but I, you know, like Omari Davis kind of putting things together makes me feel better. But they have got to find a way to get Boogie Coleman going, uh, and if they can, if they can do that, and and you know maybe, uh, maybe a you know a, a trip to a different environment sort of kickstarts him a bit, um, you know. But I'd like to see him limit his turnovers and and make some shots and uh, and play some defense and and you know throw some assists and stuff like that and and come out of there like in the trifecta, like he's a guy that just has been absent uh, for, for most of the season from from being like a catalyst in, in Missouri's performance. And I think like that's what we need at this point.
0: Yeah, and I think there were signs against Wichita State about what could work for him. You know, Missouri just would call some 1-4 flat ball screens for him and, you know, Ryan DeGray. Nothing real complicated, but, you know, somebody's got to respect Gray popping after he screens. So that gets him a lane. Sometimes they've run some drag screens for him, you know, when he's brought the ball up and just to get him moving towards the rim. I think my, you know, we talked structurally about what this offense looks like and we kind of talk about it in global terms, but like, to be more specific, they don't ever like when you watch, like if you watch them run like a dribble handoff action, it's Jerron Coleman dribbling to handoff to Javon Pickett to initiate the action. And then he may be on the weak side of the floor interchanging with another guard or waiting for maybe a down screen or something. Or maybe he's going to come back up and get a static handoff from a big up top. But you don't see or like they'll run like this action they call gut where a guy kind of pops from a down screen up towards the top of the key and then gets a rescreen, you know, high at the top of the arc. You never see that action for Jerron Coleman where it's like, no, we're going to get you a ball screen in the first 10 seconds of a possession. Go cook. He's usually like, he'll initiate the offense, but he's not the primary point of it. And, you know, people talk about the jump shooting. Well, he's jump shooting because he's off the ball on when they run counter actions, Like he's not in the mix as a creator as much. And I think that's sort of, you know, it's hard for me to like say how much of it is, boogie you know struggling versus, you know the situations he's being put in by the offense is he being optimized for opportunities
1: that aren't really within what he does well and so that that's that's kind of the same argument that you know we were making uh, for mario early on with amari davis
0: yeah they started finally running zoom action for him to get him into the slot like i think the thing i when I watched the Wichita State game back, they didn't put him in that ball screen action until 10 minutes left in the ball game when they were already down nine. They had run Javon Pickett in that action, not a ball, not a guy who's known for creating out of, like, handoffs or ball screens, like, seven or eight times. Like, again, Conzo Martin knows more about basketball than I will. Chris Hollander knows more than basketball I will. But Javon Pickett, You know, driving left out of the right slot is not his game. That's Amari Davis's game, and it's not until midway through the second half that you get him a touch in that spot. So I think that's the hard thing for me to, like, say Coleman's not lived up to his billing because I'm not sure the offense has necessarily put him in positions to succeed or, or thrive at times. So that's, you know, we talked about it after the game last night a little bit in Slack. You know, the first step here is getting the rotation figured out. But after they do that, I think they've really got to look at okay, how are we using guys within the flow of the offense? Is, are the actions we're running really meshing with what these guys' skill sets are? Because maybe Jerron Coleman is a guy who can carry this team, but I'm just not sure within the setting we've seen from him or that's been you know, the setting that's been put in place for him. I'm not sure how much of it is regression versus him just not being put in an advantageous spot. So, I agree with you. I want to see him play better, but I'm just how much of that is on him versus how much, you know, the offense is
1: utilizing him in specific ways. Yeah. So I I tend to think of Martin. um, Mostly as kind of like the culture coach. He's a mentality coach. And I think like when you, when you consider. Uh, like I don't really think of Martin as this guy who's like a great tactician. Um, you know he's he's a guy that, uh, you know that wants his guys to play a certain way, and that's how they're gonna play. And uh, yeah, I, I kind of think of like you know back to the SMU game. Um, you know there was uh the the play that sort of got Kobe Brown the open three. Uh, was something that that the. The color analyst was kind of going on about, you know, how it was like such a great call by Conzo to kind of put them in this action, and uh, you know, and it was really like a pick it's, and it's pop. A bit, yeah, it's a pick and pop, uh, and and at that point in the game, like they knew how SMU was going to guard it, and they they thought that they could get a good shot for Kobe, who was looking pretty good at that point. And if he he makes that shot, then you have control of the game.
0: SMU had been jumping ball screens and hard hedging all night, off the switch. So you have Kobe hold for a second and flare back. Yeah, it it was a, so. so and, and I don't mean to say like okay, like there's skill and there's intellect involved in that. There's acumen involved in that.
1: Yeah, like like he he knows these kinds of things that that can sort of help his team get better. But when it comes to like he, he's not going to design an offense that is, uh, you know, has things that are, you know, guys are is he Like I'm trying to think of uh, like Bayline, like he's, he's not, he's not John Bayline when it comes to creating an, his own offense and having his own terminology. And like, that's just not who Zoe is, um, you know? And, and, and so like a, a kind of, this is a roundabout way of talking about it, but each coach sort of has like their, their thing and in each uh, you know, there are guys who are just really good tactically, you know, but um, you know, their, their precision, their, uh, their focus and all that kind of stuff. And, and they don't um, they don't necessarily handle other things. Well, like I, I think a good example of, as uh, McCaffrey at at Iowa, like like that guy builds uh, death is, machines on offense. I I mean he's he's a great uh, scout when it comes to finding uh, like underrated talent. Um, he's a, a really good tactician. He he runs great offense, but Lord help you if you have to deal with adversity or and like so like, defend for long or like, <laughs> long periods of time. Right. Like, like, like McCaffrey is, is not a guy you want. Like, like if, if he were to go to uh, like a blue blood school, like he would melt down and, and need like psych psychiatric help within uh within his first season. Like, he's just not like, that's just not how he's built, you know? And, and Martin, like that, like Zoe is just not built to be like the, the tactician, the the master X's and O's guys. And I think like that was explanatory when I even asked him the question about, uh, you know, like if they were still planning on running Barcelona, like I just don't think they the the, the talent that they've accumulated fits the offense that they were running last year. But he said that they're still going to run it. And it's just like, I mean, that's, it's a lot of ball screens and I just don't, I mean, I, it's like you were saying, like, we haven't really seen a ton of ball screens, but like, that's kind of what I was getting at. It's like, what are we doing to utilize this different talent that you have? And I, I don't think that they know that yet. And the one thing
0: we've always credited Martin with is I think they're good in game planning. I think they put on the film and they can scout the hell out of people. They do a great job in the scout. And I think they do a great job of building at least defensive scouting reports for what they want to do. Like I think, and he finds guys who can execute the scout pretty consistently. And that gets back to mentality. Like the guys may not be the most physically gifted. They might not be, have the most raw talent, but they're focused. They play hard. They're going to come out they're going to execute the damn scout. And they're going to do that. But like the one thing I'll notice is like, you'll watch Missouri, I can tell you off watching three games what their first three actions of the game are going to be because they run them. They open with almost the exact same and they would do it a year ago. They'll come down and in some cases, they'll, yeah, they'll run three or four of the first sets together. And again, I'm a layman. And if I can pretty much predict what the first three or four actions of the game are going to (laughs) be
1: like. Chances are the other teams picking it up, too. Right.
0: Right, and I think that that's always sort of been the thing here is they they did a good job, I think, adapting in mid-2019. But I think the one thing that people forget about when they had to adapt in, to Barcelona was because the first offense they installed, which was like slow-developing, off-ball-screen, almost like blocker-mover-motion-style stuff, was not working. It was like and we, you know, we sort of pinned it around, well, there were some injuries and they had to kind of do it. It was like, well, there were injuries, but the main system wasn't working either. And they sort of elevated that sub package. And, you know, I think they found it and they've decided to stick with it. And as we've said in circles here, like the personnel doesn't quite match it. So like, that's the thing at the end of the day here is like, if they have to go, if they tweak the rotation, they go back in, what, what are the, you know, what are the patches they're going to do for the software here? You know, do you trust them to come up with that? So we'll see. But the first thing that they did, the first step they took was getting the rotation tweaked. Now they've got to figure out what they can do maybe to optimize some guys better. Um, but times, times going, you know, it's, I think, you know, I said last week, you know, it's, let's give them three games. Let's see how things go. And then suddenly you're at six or seven games and you're like, it needs to happen now. So, you know, the time is, time is nigh here for them to start making some, some real adjustments and and tweaks if, if they're going to get this thing right before
1: conference play. So they do have Liberty uh, on Thursday and then they've got the weekend off and then they take on Eastern Illinois. Uh, in their tune-up before the following Saturday taking on Kansas. Um, you and I are going to record on Monday. We're going to go back anytime Any, anytime there's not a game on Monday, we're going to record on Monday. I think that's pretty much what we decided. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that is the plan um, for anybody that is curious about when the next episode of Dive Cuts will drop. Um, so yes, we'll be back next monday so we'll be uh, hearing this hearing us again in a week um so we're, we're not going to look much at eastern illinois uh probably on the next podcast we'll probably spend a fair amount of time talking about kansas um and sort of the impact of that game what it means et cetera, et cetera. uh but needless to say it's probably going to be uh, somewhat important for Missouri to do everything they can to win these next two games, Uh would really like to beat Liberty at Liberty. Uh, I don't think East Eastern Illinois is looking pretty bad at this point. Um,
0: yeah, that's and, a that's a reunion with Chris Hollander and Marty Simmons from their Evansville days.
1: Here they uh they are one and six with their lone victory being over Rockford. I'm not sure what Rockford is. Uh, they lost to Northwestern 80 to 56. St. Louis, they lost 86-44. Uh Central Michigan
0: beat him at the horn. Lost
1: by a point. Um, Eastern Kentucky lost by about 39. Albany beat them by a bucket. Uh, and Evansville uh beat them by 16. Um right now they're they're trending as like a sub three hundred squad in the OBC, so, team. Um it is going to be a long winter in Charleston, Illinois. If you've ever been to Charleston, a lot of winters there are long. Um, did you know that my uh, my brother actually did some some grad school work in, at Eastern Illinois? I did not. Uh-huh. He spent uh, a year in Charleston, Illinois. Or at least, you know, uh, a school year. I don't think he was there for a full calendar year. Um, yeah so there's there's a the old snelling connection uh that everybody's always looking for right
0: yeah yeah it's six degrees of
1: snelling is what it is um so yeah so we'll be back uh anything else you want to touch on before we get out of here
0: oh no i'm just uh, i'm worried people think we're going to sound like a broken record here um but you know this is a team that's sorting through deep structural issues and you know I I don't know if they'll get it right or not but you know this is it's an important week um to say the least here I'm I'm not going to be overly dire but to get to here would would really behoove Zoe to do that would really behoove him to to avoid getting on a path to a worst case scenario so big couple games coming up
1: uh, yeah. Are there any any games the rest of the week that you're looking forward to watching?
0: Uh, I have not looked at my uh spreadsheet yet. Oddly enough, uh, but
1: I know it's the ACC. I know, I know Florida plays Oklahoma um Wednesday.
0: Yeah, I think it's what is it? The ACC. It's also the ACC Big Ten Challenge this week, so there'll be all kinds of fun there. Let me pull up uh, the fun watch calendar here. Um, no, it. I had to get back to League Pass. I have not watched um, the Scorching Suns and how well they're playing uh, since certain allegations were released about their owner, which apparently inspired them to play well. Um, but Ooh,
1: Alabama plays uh, the Zags this Saturday. Yeah, that's the one I was looking for.
0: That's that's going to be the fun one. Yeah, this week um, Florida's at Oklahoma, which should be a fun one. That one's on like a regional sports network. So, um, don't know if I'll be able to find that one. A sneaky game is UCF at Auburn. Um, I don't know. UCF is, and has been a little bit perky at times under, under that staff down there. So maybe that'll be an interesting one. Um, yeah, uh, not, not a lot of really big SEC games this week. Um, now, now there is one, there's Memphis at Ole miss, um, which, you know, will be interesting. Tennessee at Colorado, um, which I'm curious to see. Just getting a return game there. Um, Vandy at SMU. I'm interested to see that one. Just to sort of as a barometer for where Vandy is right now. Um, so there's some stuff on Saturday that'll be pretty interesting. So I'd say check out Florida, Oklahoma, check out uh, Memphis, Old Miss, and Alabama. Gonzaga would be the ones I would say to check out.
1: Yeah. So uh, we'll get out of here. Um. I believe Matt that uh, uh, Nate and BK are recording again this week, uh, and then BK takes a little bit of a break. Yeah, hey, he's getting he's getting married. Portal season before wedding season, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, we gotta we gotta figure out everybody who's gonna be on the uh, the Tigers roster, and then I think signing days, you know, early signing days coming up soon too. So um, there's gonna be all kinds of good football content. Make sure you are subscribed to this podcast. You can do so through uh, Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast, your podcast feed. Uh, Go ahead and follow Matt on Twitter. Don't bother with me. Um, I haven't been tweeting much, and then then today it was just like a deluge. I just couldn't help myself, these weird Arkansas fans. Uh, If you want some entertaining content, feel free to head over to my uh, Twitter feed just for the day. Um, Tuesday, November 30th. I uh, had all kinds of fun things to talk about, Paul Quinn College uh, and and Arkansas fans' reaction to Missouri playing in NAIA school. Um, any complaints, all those go to Levi. Uh, he's the one that cuts this together and makes us sound not like idiots. Um, so the reason why we still sound like idiots is all his fault. Uh, anything else before we get out? Nope, thank you for listening, everybody. That's it. We'll be back next week. Thank you.